So, uh, as always, whenever I get to speak to you all, it's more of a one-off and random kind of topic sort of thing where uh, I don't give series of teachings. It's been a long, long time since I've done that. Um, so, in some cases, that gives me some freedom and flexibility to be able to speak what it is that I feel that the Lord is impressing upon me. And many times, what I preach on is what God wants me to hear and hopefully some of you as well. Uh, no one laughed at that. Okay. Uh, all right. So, uh, but in the sense that, you know, when we uh, speak the word and speak the truth to others, uh, we understand that those of us, uh, we're not perfect. We are, we are not um, completely um, great vessels in conveying those messages. We ourselves oftentimes are hypocrites when we speak the truth and speak the word. Um, but yet, um, by God's grace, we continue to progress in, in those things that God is calling us to. And so oftentimes I find encouragement when I go back and I either review maybe some of the notes that I put together for a conversation. And hopefully I see where God is brought some level of maturity in it. And unfortunately, sometimes I look back, I'm like, oh, wow, I can't believe I said this however many months ago. And here I am uh, in my finiteness, in my fallen, in my uh, sinful nature, uh, still struggling and warring against those things and pursuing into the things of God. But so today, uh, as an individual who was raised in a liturgical uh, um, tradition, um, today is our first Sunday of Lent, and this is uh, for many, for some of us, um, and maybe with a show of hands. Not this is nothing to be ashamed of or whatever, but um, show of hands, who was raised in a liturgical style uh, tradition in the Christian Church? Wow! All right, okay, so very few of us. Um, so many of us this uh, this season of Lent might be a foreign topic. It might seem odd. Um, sometimes we might not get the best examples of what this season is about through um, those who do practice it, maybe not giving the best representation or the best witness as to the purposes behind it. So hopefully we're going to talk a little bit about that on a um, broader, bigger picture scale, because I don't want to necessarily steal much of the direction that John will be leading us in in the next several weeks through his sermons uh, during this season, but rather just to give us kind of an, a taste, an idea to help give us a little bit of a foundation on this matter and how it can maybe um, help us all engage in this season in a way that will be maybe more fruitful, provide some clarity and some background as opposed to maybe some of the general confusion that we might have um, in this season. So we're going to talk a little bit about Lent today, um, and it, I will be probably more likely to be brief uh, so you might actually get some time to have some coffee and so forth in between service. I, I'm not going to try to belabor too much of the points, so, uh, so here we go. So today we're going to talk about just two main things that I, I want to kind of hit home. One is that there is a value in, that can be um, ascertained from following the liturgical church calendar. And then secondly, we're going to look at a two of the major emphases of Lent and why the church for generations upon generations 
for over, uh, you know, for in its existence from the beginning of the early church, there was semblances of practicing celebrating what we now call the season of Lent. So just a couple things that we want to touch upon today. So first, looking at the liturgical calendar, um, I think what's helpful is to look at it from a perspective of our experience here on earth and our relationship with, with God, our creator. There's two elements to our finiteness. One, there's the finiteness in terms of our limit of days here uh, on earth before, the second, before we are resurrected and are given new heavenly bodies and so forth at, um, you know, as that's proceed or pre or follows the coming of Christ. So for us, we here on earth naturally follow a progression of how our life goes, right? We, we are raised as children into a level of incre- hoping, hopefully increasing levels of maturity as our life goes on and different stages of our life are marked with different responsibilities, different tasks, different uh, callings and goals and objectives and so forth in our life. So time, we kind of see these things where we grow up from being children um, and we pass through that a lot of times, mark through our, our schooling is usually kind of a way that we indicate that in terms of where we're going in our knowledge. Hopefully, as we grow in knowledge, hopefully we're growing in wisdom as well because those two things are not necessarily one and the same. And so hopefully as we grow in that wisdom and grow in that maturity and that character development, we grow into adulthood where there's more responsibilities in our life, whether we are um, commissioned to go out into the marketplace, into the world um, on behalf of God to bring his kingdom into those spheres, um, whether, whatever they may be, as well as um, starting a family and so forth and raising children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Um, so these are things that we kind of see progressively happening just because of the nature of how our lives are limited to the number of days that we are provided. And then secondly, the other element of our finiteness is in the sense of our level of capacity. Um, We do not have the all-encompassing ability to know everything there is to know about the Lord. There's, and his kingdom and his precepts, his laws, all those things, we cannot ever come to a place where we know it all and we have it all. And so in our relationship with an infinite creator, by being finite creations, we have the limit there where we have to, um, we have a need for this idea that we need reminders through the course of time. We need to be brought back to the things that we have learned before that we have either forgotten or de-emphasized or turned our attention away from because of our finiteness. We cannot be fully engaging in all of these understandings all of the time. And oftentimes our perceptions get skewed Sometimes we, you know, neglect some really, really good things, maybe not even out of malicious intent, but because of the fact either the busyness of life or the fact that God has taken us from looking at this emphasis, we're now looking at this. But it doesn't mean that we're graduated and above and better than and don't need to learn anymore. Those things that we learned in our foundational things in our faith, 
those are still fundamental and, and vital to our everyday life. But nevertheless, sometimes we start looking and focusing on other things and God calls us to that and that's okay. But nevertheless, because of our inability to hold everything at the forefront of our mind, we have, um, we have need for reminders. And I think this is where the liturgical calendar can really help us as a, as a people who are journeying together in the calling on us as a people into the things that God would have us to accomplish as his body, as the church. So this helps us have a more fuller perspective on the, the things of God and what God is calling us to. And it's kind of like um, we have the, you know, the tendency as people, and I bet most of us in this room right now are sitting in the same spot we sit in every week, right? You're used to seeing GCF worship services a certain way from just based on where you're sitting, and we don't take the time to move around, to look at something from a different perspective, reevaluate and consider and probe. Once we get kind of comfortable, we're there and we're set. It's pretty much guarantee that John Luke's going to be sitting right there at 9.30 every week. And he's limited, that limits how he, how he participates in the worship of our, of our services together. Um, because he can't see all the perspectives from all the different angles and so forth of what are happening. So, with that said, this helps us get that ability to take a step back each year after year after year to intentionally take um, a different look at it, uh, at these different seasons and the things that God is trying to teach us through his scripture um, and one of the great things that by doing the rotational um, liturgical calendar through our teachings, um, we get different perspectives over the course of um, over the course of two or three years of this is how we approach this season this year, looking at, at this lens of scripture, and then we can look at it from this lens of scripture. But it's all good in the sense that it gives us a fuller understanding of what God is supposed to is trying to or excuse me, what God is teaching us about himself and his nature. So, one of the great things that we are blessed with is that in God's infinite wisdom, he has given us seasons to mark time. And they are ways that are really simple, but ways that we can glean things about God's nature, his character, um, also the way that he instructs us or reminds us or the covenants he makes with us. In our, his created order, we can see these things plainly. So as Christians, our liturgical calendar starts actually with Advent. And so we're looking at that is the beginning where we see that there was darkness. And then in that darkness, light was brought in, and now the light is increasing. And then we see from there, we go into spring as that light is increasing, and as we can relate to that in terms of our walk as God has now broken through into the darkness of our heart and now we are growing in a, in a process in our maturity and in our understanding. And then from there, as the season goes on and in our days, we see that there becomes a period during that time of the spring where we are sowing and sowing 
and sowing and sowing, there will become a harvest that we reap later in the year. And so we see that just in that basic way of God ordering time, we can see how that relates to us in our spiritual lives as well. So I, I look at the liturgical calendar as a, it's, this is not a perfect analogy by any means, but I think it's, it, there's a correlation in, in how, they're, how they operate. It's like I think of the liturgical calendar as like the memorial stones that we see um, here in Joshua 4. Now, sorry, I do, Paul, I'll read this. Sorry for the jamming it all onto one slide. But to set this up, the people, the, the people the, of Israel have been brought out of Egypt and they are leaving the wilderness to now go into the promised land. And this is a significant moment because this is God's pointing to his promises all the way back to Abraham that he was going to give the people a land to inhabit. That was part of his promises and his covenant with Abraham and for the offspring of Abraham, which is his spiritual offspring. So, in Joshua 4, 4 through 7 says, Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do, these stone, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And so we see that God has brought the people out of slavery, out of the wilderness, and has brought them into the land that, land that he has promised for them. And then the waters of the Jordan would, would be put back into place. And so signifying that you're being cut off from all of those things that God brought you out of, you're not to go back to that. You're going forward into the kingdom that God has promised you. And so this is a big thing. And I'm not going to try to spend much time on this, but we see that you know, this idea where God puts into or puts out for us these times where he says, mark this, mark this, mark this. And so the liturgical calendar does that for us, just like what we see here. Um, but we also, I would encourage that each and every one of us, this is a, a, tan, this is a tangential point, that get in the habit of marking important times in your walk with God so that you can go back and see God's faithfulness. It's not that you're going back and longing for a different time or you're you know, thinking about how things were better then. Look at it as God has a history with each and every one of us and with us corporately. And to think about, okay, and to not only look at it from your, your own individual perspective of marking these significant events, but seeing as we corporately have, as a body have significant events together 
directly and indirectly. Things that are really important for your brothers and sisters sitting with you in the pews that takes them further into the things of God is vital for you. And you need to see that and you need to recognize that and appreciate it that God's gifts to your brothers and sisters are gifts indirectly to you as well because we are a body together and therefore that blessing, it permeates and spreads uh, to the rest of us if we so, uh, if we do not cut off and isolate ourselves from the rest of the body. So where there is strength that is gained in one member of the body, we can leverage that strength together to become stronger ourselves and working in unison and in cooperation. So this is, I'm, I'm just making this point to say that I believe that there is value in the liturgical calendar in giving us moments to remember God's faithfulness and his covenants throughout history, both on a big historical cosmological level, but then also for us individually um, as we encounter God year after year after year. So some of the issues that prevent the liturgical calendar getting um, fully utilized is the fact that we see that for many folks it has become um, a system of dead works and dead tradition, to be frank, um, where we people do things without even knowing why. And that's why going back to this is important when it says, when your children ask in the time to come, what do they mean to you? What we've failed a bit in recent years as the American church is explaining these things properly to our children. We're not instructing our children as to what these things mean. And so when they go and they engage in these events or in these traditions, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't have any value. It doesn't resonate because it's just like, well, I just do this because that's what you're supposed to do. And that's not to be where we're supposed to be at um, in the sense of when it comes to our way that we approach the things that the church historically has done throughout the ages. They've, they did those things for a reason. We have to go back and understand what those reasons were because these, those individuals who were um, mighty men and women of God saw that there was value to be um, obtained from pointing back to Christ in many of these ways. Um, so we do things um, throughout um, the year. We do things like um, we have an Advent wreath. We do things like Stations of the Cross. Um, and, but many of us can't even speak to why. And that's an indictment, um, I think, on the church as a whole that these things that we that we do have now been, are being done without the uh, really the rich information that makes that um, something, those events and those, um, those activities something that's of actually great benefit to us. So, so I would just say that for us, we're looking into this season of Lent, um, and we'll talk, touch upon that in just a moment, leading into um, the, into the ascension, into Pentecost, and ordinary time, which ordinary time just does not, you know, it's not for, I think for us, it sometimes is a confusing time in terms of its name. Um, it just means that that is 
the, the time in which that we are in the order or in the business of doing the, king, you know, the kingdom business and the kingdom activity. So it makes sense that those seasons kind of follow the progression that in our own walk with God individually and corporately. So Lent, we're going to be looking at, looks to our time in a season of baptism. And then we go into Pentecost where the, uh, the followers of Christ were baptized with the Holy Spirit to be commissioned to the time and empowered to do the work of the ministry. And so, you know, we see that Advent, Lent, there's a progression there on what it means for us and what we as a people are to be doing. So moving on to a couple, the two emphasis of Lent that I'd like to touch upon. Um, First, Lent is one of the uh, oldest traditions or one of the most oldest, or excuse me, one of the oldest observances that we have as the people of God after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, There has been, from the very beginning, a tradition of catechizing and delivering um, new converts prior to uh, being baptized. And then we see um, in the Council of Nicaea, we actually see some formation actually put in an official um, church manner, church governmental manner of what the season looks like in terms of the length of its time uh, to 40 days, kind of looking to um, all of the important moments that we've kind of talked about in terms of the people of God being in the wilderness for 40 years, Jesus being uh, tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, or excuse me, being in the wilderness to be tempted. Uh, and so therefore, we see that that number was something that was of great significance that the um, leaders of the, the church in the fourth century, like Constantine, said that this is something that we think is a, um, a, a period of time that is good for reflection, for um, um, correction, and so forth, to prepare our converts to be ready and prepared to receive baptism. So traditionally, Lent has primarily focused on as a season as the bringing in of new members into the body of Christ. And that is twofold in and of itself in the sense of that it's a corporate preparation. Um, It's not as if that if you are a current believer and a current follower of Christ, that Lent has no more value for you um, because we are corporately preparing together our new, cate- our, our, our new um, catechumens that are looking to enter into the body because it's not in, um, sometimes we lose sight in America that being baptized into a people it's more than just being baptized by yourself individually. You're being baptized into a community, into a body, into a group of people. And so throughout history, that was taken much more seriously in terms of the fact that um, and the whole church would be involved in that process in terms of lifting that person up and, and welcoming them in and taking it upon themselves to... Uh, to care for the spiritual well-being of those catechumens throughout that process. And so, and then there's also a level of corporate celebration. It's kind of sad and tragic when 
If you go to a, you go to a, baptism, a baptism where the only people there are the immediate family, the whole church should be celebrating with those people about the baptism of that child or that adult or whatever age they're in being brought into the kingdom of God in the sense of we are now accepting that person as a member of one of us. That's the mark of baptism is the mark of membership into the body. And that's a really sad thing that it is something that's become isolated and it's not a group celebration. And I, I, um, not trying to blow our horn, you know, toot our own horn here at GCF and make us sound like we're great and wonderful and holy, but I love that about our baptisms are done together publicly. Um, and now we don't baptize on Easter Sunday. We don't obviously have a huge amount of space for a baptismal. Um, you know, the river does provide a little bit more room, uh, and it's a little bit chilly if we were to do that on, you know, when the, the times of Easter falls in, you know, actually in March still. We don't have this balmy March like we're having now. Sometimes we have snow on Easter Sunday. So, um, so we choose to do, um, but that doesn't mean that if someone, we weren't, we're not going to hold somebody off to be baptized all the way until uh, September when we normally do them. Um, if somebody wants to be, then they should come to one of the elders and we can make that happen. But nevertheless, so that, that was, it's a huge emphasis on Lent is the idea of that we are welcoming new members into our fold and um, and so it's a time really of increasing and progressive celebration as time goes on. And then secondly, we remember um, the events of Holy Week and the, life, and, the, and the Passion of the Christ and all the things that he endured for us. Um, we remember that God, um, through Jesus Christ, fulfilled where Every person has failed in the sense of when Adam was tempted, he fell. The people in the wilderness, they grumbled against God and eventually they fell as well. Even though God brought them into the promised land, eventually that they became so disobedient to the Lord and did not hold his uphold his statutes, that they were again taken into captivity and driven out. And so out of the promised land. So, but yet Christ actually then conquers and actually executes where uh, we could not, where Adam could not, the people of God through the people of Israel could not do, which is to obey the father. And therefore through Christ's obedience, God promises and gives Jesus a, gives him the nations. And so we see that this is where, you know, Ash Wednesday is kind of a beautiful thing in the sense that we remember first on Ash Wednesday that we are created from dust. We do not belong of ourselves, that we were created by a creator. And then through, through the person of Jesus Christ, we are purchased and we are not our own anymore. And so therefore, we see that, um, you know, there, there's this great seeing of like realizing that Christ is calling the nations to himself progressively throughout history. 
So I'm going to read a portion of scripture. This is going to be Romans 15, 12 through 21, because um, I think this just beautifully speaks to what the season of Lent is all about. Um, so, uh, and I'll try to explain this as I go, if, if need be. So, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those sinning, was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That is what, we're, that is what we are um, remembering and taking hold of here in this season, is that we were dead as the sons and daughters of Adam. And then Christ brings us newness of life through his death that he, um, that he did not deserve, but yet took on for us and gave to us this free gift of righteousness. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And just to clarify, if there's any confusion about verse 20, where it says, now the law came in to increase the trespass. Think of it as what we saw in previous slides here, where it talked about that, um, let's see here, where the sin was in the world before the law was given. So while we might have been ignorant for a season that of our sins, yet the law teaches us that there is sin and what sin is. And so therefore, when we now sin after that understanding and after that knowledge, we are um, engaging in compounded trespass, trespasses, so to speak. We are, we are now adding rebellion on top of, or knowing rebellion on top of uh, our sin. So where you can see there that the, um, the, the gravity of our sin increases over the fact now that we have the law to be our tutor to teach us what is godliness and what is ungodliness. 
So in light of this, we see that Lent is not a season of gloom. It's, it's not a season where you are um, engaging in uh, a form of asceticism where you're worshiping God by just beating yourself up over and over again, either physically or emotionally or so forth. But rather, it is a sober reminder and a progressive celebration that we have died with Christ and he lives through us. So for those already born in Christ, our focus for the season can be found in the charge that we see that is given to the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2. It says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent." I think this is a a beautiful thing to be mindful of and to remember is that we are being invited to, uh, in the season of Lent, to recall and remember that initial time of our um, pressing into the Lord and receiving his calling us out of darkness into light. And we think of and remember what were those things that we were um, doing in terms of uh, being passionately seeking the Lord, and, and what caused us to turn our hearts in a soft way and to hear the Lord and to repent and so forth. And I think that's really what, you know, we, we see instances where uh, Lent is about, um, you know, we, there are good spiritual disciplines that have come about through the season of Lent in terms of emphasis on more on being more prayerful, uh, emphasis on um, fasting, uh, sacrifice, self-denial, those things. But those, frankly, are things that we should be doing all along, right? Those are the, those are, but yet this, those are the things that we were uh, likely more engaging in as we first in, walked with God. And over time, because of the fact that, um, we are weak. We don't always. We're not always walking in full uh, fullness of zeal all the time. And as time kind of goes on, we happen to um, have seasons of dryness. And this is Lent's a great season to to call us back to that season of where we are led by the Spirit rather rather than being led by our flesh or led by our own, you know, our perception or our own. Um, ambitions or so forth. So I just want to encourage us that and exhort us that during the season, um, when you are engaging in spiritual disciplines or things of that nature, look at it more from the perspective that you are, um, you're not just trying to make sacrifices because that's what you're supposed to do, but rather that you want to return to that place, that posture you had before God that caused you to say, you know, to say yes to the calling that God uh, spoke to you uh, when you were in the world and you were dead in that sense, and he called you into the newness of life. 
So um, let us pray. Yeah, I kept it pretty close. How about that? See, it was, Amvesh was saying I was going to go really long, and I proved you wrong, Amvesh. So there you go. So let's, let's close in prayer. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you have given us opportunity to look to you and to uh, be invited back uh, into your presence, into your um, into relationship with you, Lord. Um, God, that you give us um, opportunities to where we can uh, turn away from our fleshly desires. Um, you give us means and methods for escape. And Lord, I think this is a timely season for us as a church to um, press into you uh, into greater ways than maybe we have ever had before, Lord. God, I ask that you would uh, cause each and every one of us together to move um, in, in nearness to you. Not that it'd be um, just uh, done individually, Lord, but we would grab hold of each and every one of us together and walk through this season through in this journey together in our um, desiring of you and cultivating uh, your presence uh, in greater and greater measures among us. Lord, we just ask that today that you would be exalted in our worship and that, God, that you would um, renew our the zeal in our hearts and renew our minds and how we approach and look to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.